Today we are continuing with our lesson series, looking at the year of wisdom, and today part 19, and today we're going to kind of transition. Uh, We're going to wrap up our time in the Proverbs, and beginning in two weeks, the week after Mother's Day, we are going to look at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes for six weeks, uh, which if you've ever read it, it can seem kind of depressing, but I don't think that you have to look at it that way. And so, uh, but today... We're going to sort of do a wrap-up of the book of Proverbs and ask the question, what have we learned so far about wisdom? Now, <laughs> I intended yesterday at men's breakfast to, for, for the guys to write my sermon for me because I was going to ask them, okay, we're in part 18, you know, we've done 18 weeks of wisdom. What have you learned so far about wisdom? But instead of me getting to where I was ready to, you know, kind of guide the discussion it just kind of, I wouldn't say devolved, it kind of it kind of went into, it just sort of took on a life of its own. And I learned a long time ago, if a discussion in a group is taking on a life of its own, me getting involved and trying to, to manhandle it and go a certain direction just doesn't lead anywhere good. I have at least that much wisdom. And so I just sat there thinking, great, now what am I going to say tomorrow? I have no idea. So instead of me being able to tell you what you learned during this 18 weeks, I'm going to have to tell you what I hope you learned during these 18 weeks, what I see after 18 weeks just in the book of wisdom, or in the book of Proverbs, about what it says about wisdom before we get ready to launch off into Ecclesiastes, and then eventually, uh, later on in the year, the book of James. Now, we're going to spend 26 weeks in the book of James, which is the wisdom literature of the New Testament, where they bring Jesus into all of this, and that's going to be pretty important, okay? Uh, Just kind of spoiler alert, that's where we're going to end up with this lesson too. But, uh, you know, in order to kind of understand where we ended up with the book of Proverbs, I want to go back to the very beginning, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is Solomon's purpose statement, okay? He says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. And let those with understanding receive guidance. Just right from the beginning, Solomon is saying, wisdom is so important. Wisdom is, is, well, I mean, the book of Proverbs is going to tell you, wisdom is the most important thing that you can get in this life. Now, it's before Jesus came, and so James is going to change that around just a little bit. But in the Old Testament, as far as Solomon was concerned, there is nothing more important in your life than wisdom, which will revolve around a life intricately involved with and sort of soaked up with God. Uh, But wisdom is one of those things that it's supposed to help us make fewer mistakes as we go through this world, to keep us from making mistakes kind of like this. However, we've just been informed that the bishop has suffered a terrible accident. It seems that he was out fishing this afternoon when his boat was hit by a storm and capsized. At the moment, he remains missing. However, I will keep you abreast of any further developments. We know how much this evening means to the bishop. 
and how he delights in entertaining us each year with his biblical hand shadows. <laughs> we also know that he would be the first to insist that we proceed without him. So, I'm going to step in and introduce this year's speaker. Won't you extend a cordial and gracious welcome to my friend and colleague, Dr. Fraser Crane. Dr. Crane? Dr. Crane? Ah! Thank you, Father Mike. Thank you very much. I can't tell you what an honor it is to be here this evening. I expected the bishop to introduce me, but I'm, I'm sure he'll drift in eventually. <laughs> you know, it's a real comfort to see so many priests out there in the audience. These days, I don't dare speak in public without someone standing by who can perform the last rites. <laughs> Whoa. Very religious crowd, I see. I can tell because of the vow of silence. <laughs> Hope you got some uh, holy water standing by there, Father. I'm dying here. <laughs> and speaking of water, that reminds me of a little story. A rabbi, a, a minister, and a priest are all sitting at the bar on the Titanic. Dr. Crane, the bishop. Oh, well, I heard the story with a, a priest, but uh, what the heck, a bishop's up even funnier, isn't it? Thank you, sister. Okay, then, uh, a rabbi, a minister, and a bishop are all sitting at the bar when the purser rushes in to give them the horrible news. Fraser, the bishop is lost at sea. Hey, look, are you telling this story or am I? But Fraser... Hey, come on, lady, I work alone, all right? Hey, thank you. All right, anyway, so the person rushes in to give them the horrible news about the boat. So the rabbi gets up and says, my God, my people will need me. The minister is about to leave when the priest says, oh, oh, sorry, the bishop. <laughs> says, oh, relax, have another drink. I'm sure that the rabbi can handle it. And the minister says, my God, man, how can you abandon your flock when we've just hit an iceberg? And the bishop says, an iceberg? I thought I said we hit a Weisberg. <laughs> Is this thing on? Mmm, <laughs> Unfortunately, my life has way more of those situations in it that aren't nearly that funny, right? Uh, that I wish I didn't have quite as many of those things. And wisdom, what it's supposed to do is get us to where, not where we don't have any of those, but we have fewer, all right? Fewer of those things where our lives just kind of go from, from one bad moment to the next where we're just sort of devolving into chaos in our lives. And so uh, what I want to do today is I want to kind of look at what a life of wisdom, what it looks like. Because if you're going to live a life of wisdom, it is going to be characterized by three things I've noticed as we've gone through the book of Proverbs. Number one, a strong commitment. Okay. A life of wisdom doesn't just come because you pray one night and say, Lord, I want to, I want to, I want to, give me wisdom, Lord. You know, when we get to the book of James, there's a place where James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and God will give it to you. Now, I used to think that meant that if I needed to know what kind of a decision to make about a certain situation, I would just pray and then God would make it clear. But see, here's the thing. 
the rest of James and, and, and all the book of Proverbs and several other places in the Bible that kind of give us clues about wisdom will say, yes, that's true, but the more that you've been working on it throughout your life and the more commitment that you have given to it throughout your life, the easier it will be for God to make it clear what his plan for your next step is going to be. And so you need this strong commitment. It's not something that you just kind of say, okay, I want it today, but tomorrow I'm going to do what I want, right? In uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, my father taught me, take my words to heart, follow my commands, and you will live. Get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. I've always noticed the benefits of wisdom that the book of Proverbs and James and Ecclesiastes are going to tell us. You know, there's all these great things about wisdom. I had never before this week sort of had the verbs that Solomon uses when he's talking about wisdom and the benefits that will come I've never before really noticed those before. They haven't really stood out to me. But look at it. He says, my father taught me, take my words to heart. Follow my commands. Get wisdom. I used to think, I mean, the Bible will say that over and over and over and over again. Get wisdom. And I used to think it was sort of like, you know, if I was walking through life and I looked down, it's like, oh, look, there's a quarter. I'm going to get it, right? It's like, yeah, why, why wouldn't I get it? It's right there. Nobody else is claiming it. I'm going to take it. it. That word get is not just some, you know, oh, you know, just reach out and take it. That word is the word for buying something, purchasing something. Older translations of this same verse say, buy wisdom and never sell it. Hold on to it with everything that you've got. And it's not just the idea of buying it. It's a, you, this is buying something that comes at an extremely high cost extreme value connected to this word of get wisdom, okay? It's, yeah, there are a lot of benefits to it, but it takes, I probably shouldn't have even said a strong commitment. It takes total commitment is what it takes. Not perfection, but commitment to a life of wisdom in order to live a life of wisdom. Solomon goes on, Proverbs chapter four, verses seven through eight. Getting wisdom, there's that word again, is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head. She will present you with a beautiful crown. And we've known this since the very beginning of this series, looking at uh, how to develop a life of wisdom, right? Because from the very beginning, we've we've had a, a wisdom step during every week of this lesson series, that if you've been on this, on this journey with us, then every week I give you a wisdom step and I give you a memory verse to, if, you, if you're so inclined, commit it to memory so that God can use it to remind you of things as you go throughout your week. Our very first memory verse told us about this commitment, but it did that, I mean, it did stand out to me, but it didn't stand out to me as much as it does now. Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord With all your heart, do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Do you see the language of commitment there? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. 
if you were with us back then, maybe some of you might remember, uh, Annika Hedden actually went home after this lesson and put together a little graphic. Uh, it's on the, the front of our devotionals for this week. And it had this verse sort of in a circle. Uh, and then in the middle of it, it said Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Because this verse is sort of this circular, uh, it's a cycle, right? Solomon is telling us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So then when you see which path to take, I don't know about you, sometimes I see the step that I think he's putting in front of me, and it looks scary, or it looks hard, or I don't understand it. And so then I'm like, okay, I think that's what he wants me to do, but man, I'm not, I don't know. What do I do now? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, right? Don't lean on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Well, what if that next step looks scary now? Well, then trust in the Lord, right? It just becomes this circular thing in our lives that the more that you do, remember what it, we started out with Proverbs chapter 1, 1 through 5, I think. And verse 5 said, let the, let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. That's the promise of wisdom. You act on the wisdom you already have, and God gives you a little more. You act on that wisdom, and God gives you a little more. This is not something where you pray and say, Lord, I want wisdom, and suddenly, poof, you know, like it did with Solomon, right? That was a unique situation there. I think we talked about that our second week or third week in this uh, lesson series. Uh, and you can go back on the Facebook video page and listen to all of these again if you want. But this is not something that just happens overnight. This is a lifelong process that over the course of a lifetime can lead you to a life of wisdom you never would have dreamed was possible. And it has nothing to do with your intelligence, with your IQ. It has to do with your trusting quotient, right? Whether or not you do, trust the Lord with all of your heart and seek his will in all you do. And then act on what you learn and trust in the Lord. If you do that, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how smart you aren't you can become a person of great wisdom. So that's the first uh, sign of a, of a life of wisdom, a, a total commitment, really. Not perfection, commitment. Second uh, sign of a uh, life of wisdom is a carefully cultivated heart. Okay? A carefully cultivated heart. We've been talking about the heart over and over and over as we've gone throughout this series I think it was maybe back in week five or six that we kind of did an entire lesson just on the heart and how important the heart is when it comes to living a life of wisdom. In Proverbs chapter four, verse 20, Solomon says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart for they bring life to those who find them. That is a fascinating statement. Let these words penetrate into your heart. What does that mean? Well, in order to understand that, we got to understand what the Bible's concept of the heart is, because it's different than our culture's uh, understanding of the heart. Um, when we, at least, you know, in, in our culture, when we think about the heart, what do we think about? We think about emotions, right? And you'll hear some people say, don't listen to your heart, right? Your heart's stupid. Listen to your head. Or other people will say, no, 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 no. Don't listen to your head. Don't be a robot. Listen to your heart, right? And it kind of depends on what kind of person they are as to which, which part of, their, of themselves they value or trust 
more, right? If you watch Star Trek movies or any of the series, right, there's this theme that runs throughout that, uh, the Star Trek universe. And that is whether it's a Vulcan or whether it's an android, and see, it kind of depends on which uh, series you watch or which movies. Sometimes they have both in the same show. Uh, But the Vulcans and the androids are mystified by humans because of these strange feelings that seem to affect them so much, and they just can't understand. And so sometimes those feelings are huge weaknesses in a human's life, and sometimes they turn out to be enormous strengths. Right? And, and they, they save the day. The humans' feelings save the day. And the androids and the Vulcans are like, very strange. I don't understand that. Right? You go back to the first century and the Greek and the Roman world that surrounded Israel, they had this other idea. It wasn't the heart that separated humans from, you know, that, that, that made a person human. It was their intellect. Their intellect is what separated them from the animals, you know? And so you look at this word, heart, and you're like, okay, so what is it saying? What, what, am, I supposed to, what am I supposed to let the words of wisdom sort of soak into, my head or my heart? And the answer is both. Because the biblical concept of the heart is that it is the seat of emotions, yes, but also the intellect, everything Everything that you do, that you say, that you think, every behavior, every action, everything comes from the heart. In Proverbs 4.23, he says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4.23, the same verse in the New Century Version, says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. You start to get an idea. If, how difficult it is for the Bible translators, right? If you have ever like, looked at a verse and thought, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what that means. One, one of the easiest ways you can study, like kind of do a, a, go a little deeper in your Bible study is, if you've got it on your phone, just start looking at different translations of the same verse, and you'll start to get this idea of how difficult it is for the translators to take these incredibly deep, complex, nuanced biblical words and translate them into English where heart can mean so many different things. Love can mean so many different things. One word that, it's, that is used to translate it into English, right? The heart in in the biblical languages, which is used over a thousand times in the Bible, by the way, over and over and over, the Bible talks about your heart, your heart, your heart. And it is, the, it is, it is the, the part of us from which everything we do flows out of it. Everything. If you were with us when I talked about the heart back in, uh, I don't know, week four, five, six, whatever it was, um, then maybe you remember, I was kind of, it's like I was wrestling with this concept. I've, every once in a while, the longer I do this, the more I realize I don't understand it nearly as well as I thought I did. Uh, Judy calls it turning the kaleidoscope, right? It's like every once in a while, I'll be reading along and, or, or, or something, and I'll be thinking about a lesson, and I'll, all of a sudden, I'll have a, a kind of an epiphany. And what it does is it turns the kaleidoscope, and then everything else that I look at is, is changed, because of that, that change in, in, in understanding or whatever it is. And this, this concept of the heart is one of those things. It happened back in 
week five. It happened again this week. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, boy, Solomon talks about the heart so much. The heart is such an important thing for him. This week as I was getting ready for this lesson, I noticed he keeps saying, my father told me. My father told me. His dad was David, right? And the heart played a huge part in David's life. And all of a sudden, I was thinking, I was, and all of a sudden, it just occurred to me. I was like, how come I never thought of that before? How did I miss that? When David was crowned king of Israel, right? Solomon, <laughs> Solomon wasn't around yet. David was a little boy. And all God told his prophet Samuel was, go to Jesse's house in Bethlehem. One of his children is the next king of Israel. I'll tell you which one when you get there. And so Samuel sends word ahead to Jesse. I'm coming to crown one of your sons king. So gather them all. God will tell me which one it is when I get there. So Jesse gathered all of his sons except one because there was one that he thought, why even bother calling him? Couldn't be David. Leave him out there with the sheep. I mean, that's, 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 he's a shepherd. That's what he is. He's not a king. And so Samuel shows up, and the first thing he sees is, is the oldest son of Jesse, Eliab, who is tall, and he's good-looking, and he looks like a king, and, and Samuel's thinking, that's got to be him. And this is what God says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And I remember the first time I read that when I was, after I was getting very serious about my faith, and I thought, what does that mean? What kind of heart is it that God looks at and thinks, yeah, yeah, see, that's what I'm looking for? Because that's what David had. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, the Bible says, God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. This week, I had another sort of swirling epiphany. I was like, God's got a heart. I mean, I knew that, but... but but when I'm thinking about my heart, God's got a heart too. So what is this thing? What is this confusing, sort of all-encompassing thing from which everything we do proceeds? Everything we do is colored by our heart. God is looking at our hearts. God wants us to have a heart after his. That's, I always... I can remember reading that and thinking, what would it even look like for me to have a heart that when God looked down, he'd say, yeah, Ed is a man after my own heart. What would that even look like? And what does it mean? And I, I'm, still, I'm still trying to track that down. And every time I think I'm get, starting to get to the bottom of it, I have this turn of the kaleidoscope and I realize I'm just kind of scratching the surface here. I don't know what it was about David. If it said he had such a feeling of, of, of joy when it came to his relationship with God. Or maybe it's that if you've ever read the Psalms, you know David had maybe the most incredibly well-rounded view of who God was of anybody maybe that's ever lived other than Jesus. And you see it in his Psalms. He talks about God as a father, God as a king, God as a judge, God as a friend, God as a shepherd. It's like all of these things that you're like, how is God all of these things? And somehow that was in David's heart. We know it's not that he was perfect, right? We know that. David made huge mistakes. And yet God said, he's a man after my own heart. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for commitment and he's looking for a carefully cultivated heart. 
Wish I could explain it a little better to you. I can't, but uh, let's just go ahead and move on to point number three because I don't know that we are going to get there uh, if I don't just go ahead and move on. So it takes total commitment. It takes a carefully cultivated heart, and it takes a living relationship with wisdom. Okay, a living relationship with wisdom. Wisdom, I always thought, was just a list of rules, right? The instructions, do's and don'ts. You know, do this and good things will happen. Don't do that or bad things will happen. And so if I just sort of memorized the rules and then followed them, then I was going to live a life of wisdom. And that works to a certain extent, but ultimately, it's got to go past just my intellect and, and, and sort of melt into my heart. You've got to take the words off of the page and move them into my heart from which everything I do then sort of emanates. In Proverbs 4, verse 10, my child, listen to me and do as I say, and you will have a long, good life. I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in straight paths. When you walk, you won't be held back. When you run, you won't stumble. Take hold of my instructions. Don't let them go. Guard them for they are the key to life. You start to see as you read through the Proverbs, this is not just information for your brain. This is something that, that, that needs to move into our hearts because just putting something in our brain, actually, not only is that, I mean, it only helps a little bit, but if we're not careful, it will make things worse rather than better. Researchers are starting to realize emotional intelligence, which is really just wisdom, that, that people with high levels of emotional intelligence, it is a bigger predictor of success in life than academic achievement. Okay? Now, if you compare both of those things together, academic achievement and emotional intelligence, boy, you've really got something. Okay? I'm not saying that academic achievement is not important, but emotional intelligence is a higher predictor of, of success in this life than than academic achievement. And really, that's something you already knew, right? You, you already knew that. The entire premise of one of the most successful television shows on TV right now is based around this concept in the Big Bang Theory, right? All of these guys who have just academic achievement, their intellect is through the roof, but when it comes to emotional intelligence, huh, let's watch this. First, there was PlayStation, a.k.a. PS1. Then there's PS2, PS3, and now PS4. And that makes sense. You'd think after Xbox, there'd be Xbox 2. But no. Next came Xbox 360. Hmm? And now, after 360, comes Xbox One. Why one? Maybe that's how many seconds of thought they put into naming it. Can you get the butter, please? Yeah. However, with the Xbox One, I can control my entire entertainment system using voice commands. Up until now, I've had to use Leonard. Then get the other one. Pass the butter. Get, hang on. I don't feel like you're taking this dilemma seriously. Fine, Sheldon. You have my undivided attention. Okay, now, the PS4 is more angular and sleek looking. No way! It's true, but the larger size of the Xbox One may keep it from overheating. Well, you wouldn't want your gaming system to overheat. No, see, well, you absolutely would not. And furthermore, the Xbox One now comes with a Kinect included. Included? Yes! 
not sold separately. You, although the PS4 uses cool new GDDR5 RAM, while the Xbox One is still using the conventional DDR3 memory. Why would they still be using DDR3? Are they nuts? <laughs> See, that's what I thought. But then they go and throw in an ES RAM buffer. Oh, wait, wait a second. Who's they? The Xbox. You're kidding! No, I am not. And this ES RAM buffer should totally bridge the 100 gigabit per second bandwidth gap between the two RAM types. This is a nightmare. How will you ever make a decision? You see, I don't know. What should I do? Please pass the buyer! <laughs> I'm proud of you, Sheldon. You know, I'm proud of me, too. I've done all my research, I conducted an informal poll, and I've arrived at the rock-solid certainty I've made the right choice. Well, that's gotta be a good feeling. Oh, it is. Although... Oh. You now, I had the same feeling when I made my dad buy a Betamax instead of a VHS. You were just a little kid. Yeah, a little kid who picked the wrong format to record the McNeil-Lara report. <laughs> Also, was certain that HD DVD would win out over Blu-ray. How old were you then? Old enough to know better. <laughs> you know, and now that I think about it, I stood in front of a case of iPods and I bought a Zoom. What's a Zoom? Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's an MP3 player brought to us by the makers of Xbox. <laughs> What are you doing? No, pick that back up. You know it's good. You did the research. But what if I'm wrong? You know what? How about I buy it for you? How about I buy you both? You know I only have one slot available on my entertainment center. Then I'll buy you a new entertainment center. Yeah, okay, sure. But which one? <laughs> On the one hand, the Xbox One has a better camera, but the PS4 has a removable hard drive. Thoughts? I can't feel my legs. And that's what happens when all we do is take the information and put it in our brains and don't let it sort of permeate our entire, in our entire heart. Right? It, we need to have this living relationship. And that's, that's what all of James will be about. How do you take the, the information and then create in it or from it this living, this, this living wisdom? And it turns out that Jesus is the key here. Right? That uh, there were these guys in the old... Or, you know, in the first century when Jesus is here, they're called Pharisees, and they were the smartest. They, they were like the Big Bang Theory guys, okay? They were like those guys. They knew everything about, they had an encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible. They had, most of them had memorized the entire Old Testament, okay? I can't even imagine that. It was said about the rabbis, or the, the, the Pharisees, that if you took a pin, and you took their Bible, and you pierced the pen all the way through their Bible, and then they looked at it and saw where you had put the pen, they could tell you on every page which word had been pierced by that pen. That's how well they knew the Old Testament scriptures, but it was all just intellectual knowledge. None of it invaded their hearts. Jesus said about them, he said, you guys flawlessly observe the external requirements of the law, but you neglect the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness, right? The things that revolve around relationship. 
That they completely neglected, and that meant that they missed everything. They were worse off than, if, than the people that didn't know as much about the law as they did. Jesus says this to them in John chapter 5, verse 29. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. See, what Jesus is saying is the Bible is an amazing book, but the only reason it gives you eternal life is because it points to him. Right? The eternal life isn't in the words. The eternal life is in the word, Jesus himself. In Proverbs 8, wisdom is personified as, as a human, uh, not a human, as a being. Uh, read Romans, er, Proverbs chapter 8. It's like, I was there. I was there. When God laid the foundations of the earth, I was there. I was the architect. You know, yeah, I don't have to show it up here. But, but in Romans 8, wisdom keeps talking about itself. I, I, and not itself, himself or herself, actually. You know, in the, in the, the Hebrew word for wisdom is a, is a feminine noun. Uh, but, but, and this is going to get really kind of convoluted. We're going to wade through some deep water here just real quick, and I'm going to confuse you, and then I'm going to leave you with it, okay? And so uh, in Proverbs 8, wisdom is personified. It was meant to make the people who, were, who knew the Bible, and the New Testament hadn't been written yet, it was meant to make them go back to Genesis chapter 1 and think of that where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and he spoke. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be, and on and on it goes. People that were reading Proverbs 8 are thinking, whoa, Genesis chapter 1. Wisdom was right there by God's side even then. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament. John the apostle who wrote the gospel of wisdom, really. Uh, John writes from the... This is how John begins. In the beginning, there was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And through him, everything was created that has been created. And with that, nothing that... It's like, basically... John chapter 1 verse 1 is supposed to take your mind and send it back to Genesis chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 8 and realize wisdom isn't just a bunch of information with a little W. It is a person with a big W. And until you understand that, you will never truly understand wisdom and you will never have the kind of wisdom that God intends you to have. So here's your wisdom step for this week. Commit to wisdom. You might be sitting there going, wait a minute, are you talking about little W or big W? Yes, both. You've got to have this total commitment, this carefully cultivated heart and a living relationship with it if you want it to do more than just kind of be a surface level thing for you. You've got to commit to wisdom. And our memory verse for this week, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they will bring life to those who find them. It's pointing to Jesus. Commit to wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your son. We are so grateful for this life that he invites us to and that he came to this world to give his life so that we could have life. Father, help us to take the words of this book and to let them penetrate deep into our hearts to commit our lives to a life of wisdom, knowing that we will never be perfect at it, but that the more that we work at it and the more that we let those words penetrate into our heart, the more wisdom we will have 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. We will see you next week.